As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Taylor Rockwell, and it's time for our Americans in Action Weekly Roundup. Lots of Americans are doing lots of things, and today we're going to talk about them. To do so, I'm joined by two fine fellas. In both the literal and figurative sense, you're both fine. Up first, the man who will be wearing a black armband on the day that Diego Valeri officially leaves the league. It's Joe Lowry. Hi, Joe. It will be a solemn day, Taylor. I'm not I'm not quite emotionally prepared for it. Just kidding. Mm-hmm. I, I am. I'm ready for it. But uh, it's a big move coming up for Diego Valeri. I, honest question. Will you be more emotionally impacted by Valeri leaving the league than you were, say, Messi leaving Barcelona? Uh, no. No. Messi, okay. le- Messi leaving Barcelona is definitely a bigger thing in my head. Diego Valeri has been a fixture in Major League Soccer for a long time, and it will be weird to think about MLS without him. But at the same time, the writing's been on the wall for a bit, I guess, as it was with Messi. But still, it's messy. You know, two Argentine tens, certainly, but but it's messy. Yeah. We're, we're hot take merchants today when we say that uh, Diego Valeri is not quite as important to global football <laughs> as Lionel Messi. All right, hot take number one uh, from Joe Lowry joining us as well. An honorary American, it's Graham Ruthven. Graham, <laughs> to be a true fan of the U.S. men's national team, you have to have hyperbolic opinions about certain players. So before we get into the show, which player are you irrationally into right now? Maybe not quite Billy Gilmore levels, but which American comes closest? Which American comes uh-huh. closest? So I'm utterly fascinated with what's going on with Sergino Dest, and I've written go. three articles about him this week alone, and I've got a fourth one coming up later <laughs> in the week as well. So I don't know what's really going on with him at Barcelona. I am slightly concerned, largely because my own reputation is on the line, and I may have written last season that he was the natural heir to Danny Alves at Barcelona. So it's, it's a bit of a blow that he has now been replaced by Danny Alves <laughs> at Barcelona this season. So, yeah, I, I've, I've got stock in Sergino Des doing well. Grim, Grim, you might be the truest American of the three of us on this show. Taylor, you and I haven't written four articles about Sergino no. Des this week. What are we doing with our lives? I'm not even sure I know how to write an article, let alone four. Uh, but maybe, Graham, it's just Sergio Des, like it's the the king returning home to like teach the youngster how to rule. Maybe that's what it is. Maybe we just need any of us to literally take the position, then literally give it to uh, Sergio Dest. Or maybe it's just so then he can move to Chelsea. One way or the other, 
Interesting times for Serginho Dest at Barcelona. Interesting times for lots of players, uh, Americans around the world. We're going to talk about some MLS uh, updates, some January camp roster conversation, and then some players who did some things this past weekend. But first, one more time going back to Graham, who was realizing that this is his second cap on the Americans in Action (laughs) show, which led Graham to doing some searching for names that he could find who had one cap. Is is that correct, Graham? What did you what did you land on as being your sort of benchmark, your guideline for this one? Yeah, so a, a list of names, Sal Zizzo, Ryan Suarez, Clyde Sims, Eichel Parra, Colin Clark, and Bruce Arena got one cap. So yes, I have officially surpassed Bruce Arena <laughs> take from that what you will. <laughs> And we know the other way, Kobe Jones, uh, the record appearance holder with 164 for the U.S. men's national team. Almost there, Joe, Graham. Almost there. Se- yeah. <laughs> Sebastian Legette has 33, Joe. Do you feel like you have more American-centric performances at this point than than Sebastian Legette? Because I feel like the answer has to be yes. It's got to be, right? Throughout right? Yeah. you know, some, some USMNT shows over the last couple years mm-hmm. and then certainly over the last year and change. I think, I think I've got Legette beat in that one thing and I think probably nothing else in life. I mean, in terms of level of anger thrown your way, I feel like he's got you beat there, but maybe you're winning that category by not leading oh, that true. category. It's true. Yeah. All right. So we've got some some positive things to start off. Joe, we've also got some MLS things to start off with. Uh, what have been some of the quick hits, some of the news that we might have missed out on uh, since last we spoke? Yeah, there's been a lot. This has been... Certainly the busiest MLS offseason that I can remember, which isn't necessarily saying all that much, but it has been a really busy offseason. So I'm going to run through some of the news and notes that folks out there may have missed. Maybe they haven't, and if not, then props to you, listener. First, Albert Rusnak reportedly heading to the Seattle Sounders. This is a big deal. Rusnak was a free agent, uh, and Keith Costigan reported after one or two bumps in the road in this reporting that Rusnak is going <laughs> to sign with the Sounders. There have been confirming reports since that initial slash like third report from Costigan. 27-year-old Slovakian, 10, tucked in winger. Rusnak has a lot of skill. He's a good player. I don't think he's a star in this league. I don't think he's really prepared to be the best team, the best player on any particular team. But with the Sounders, he's not going to have to be. There's so much talent around him. I think he's a valuable piece and a good signing for Seattle. Uh, ultimately, when that deal goes through, I think they'll be happy with that acquisition. A 10 that we talked about earlier in a different part of Cascadia. If that rivalry is Diego Valeri reportedly leaving the Portland Timbers. Tom Bogart reported that the Timbers and Lanús in Argentina have agreed to a deal that sends Valeri back so to sad. his boycott club. It is sad, right? Deal isn't 100% done but it is in the final stages. Valeri turns 36 in May, was pretty clearly on the decline in terms of his athleticism and his ability on the field, wasn't playing all that much for Portland down the stretch. He's likely going to be out of Major League Soccer, which feels weird. Graham, how weird is that for you? As someone who's watched Major League Soccer for a long time, it's kind of strange to think about the Timbers without Diego Valeri. Yeah, absolutely. It, it'll be, it will be strange. But what I would say is last season was already pretty strange, like seeing him on the bench and yeah. an MLS Cup and 10 minutes to go and he's still not on the pitch and you're going, come on, put him on the pitch and because he could come up with something. But Valeri, um, I mean, is there anyone who doesn't like Diego Valeri other than maybe people, other rival fans in Cascadia? He actually showed us, when I visited Portland, he was the guy who showed us around the training facility, which was very nice of him. And it took him a solid, uh, 
45 minutes to do so. He did not he did not keep anything secret. We got shown every room. We got shown the broom cupboard. <laughs> There's a lot of rooms in that facility. So yeah, I'm a big uh, Diego Valeri fan. Now I'm just choosing to believe that it, like he, he was overly enthusiastic in the tour, and that's why they can't have him around. He gives away too many secrets, so they're, they're going <laughs> to let him move on. I am also sad. I liked having the Diegos run that midfield for Portland. I'm going to yeah. assume Portland fans are pretty disappointed. That said, maybe it was time uh, to move him on to kind of make some adjustments. Joe, do you feel like that's what both Seattle and Portland are doing so far in this offseason is not quite rebuilding, not quite like adding the final piece that makes them a contender, but just sort of positioning themselves well for if they do have to move on players, if they do have to start that sort of like readjustment process. I think we're seeing that more with Seattle right now than we are with Portland, but I think that's the idea. Both of these teams want to be contending. Both of them want to be at the top of the Western Conference and making a push into MLS Cup and in the MLS Cup playoffs. So Seattle in particular has had, certainly with Rusnak, if that deal goes through, they will have had the more high-profile move coming into their squad than the Timbers. But both of those teams know how to put together a roster. I have more faith in Seattle than I do in Portland. But yeah, they, they are trying to retool slightly and really ramp up ahead of the 2022 season. One thing that I think is interesting for Portland that I'm going to have my eyes on is what happens with Sebastian Blanco, who is also, last I read, in the midst of contract negotiations with the Timbers, and there was some you know lack of clarity about how that was going to go. We still don't know, unless I've missed it. I don't think I have. We still don't know what's happening with that whole Blanco situation. That's important for them. It was going to be important regardless of whether Valeri was back or not. But now that we know he's not, and now that Blanco really would be the key to that team in the attacking midfield, just like he was last season, that's a big, big thing for Portland to have to iron out as the, the offseason progresses. So I've got my eye on that. A couple other moves here, guys. Richie Larea, 27-year-old wingback, plays for the Canadian national team. I think a lot of folks out there know the name. Transferred to Nottingham Forest in the championship, apparently a, a $1 million fee, according to reports. Unfortunate for Bob Bradley, but I do think that Larea will do really, really well in the championship. Larea, how are we, Taylor, how are we saying this name? I think Larea is like the way it's popularly, popularly said. He announced that it's meant to be the Ghanaian pronunciation, which is La Yi, but I think is okay with either one kind of knowing what is the popularly, widely pronounced one. So I think okay. we're okay either way, but he prefers La Yi. Okay. La Yi. It's, it's been a hard week. Yeah. I know it's only Tuesday for me in terms of pronunciations. <laughs> I kind of respect Graham's uh, steadfastness and just saying Cape, uh, Cape Verde. Um, yeah. yeah. But between Ka- 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 yeah, Mark okay, I'm going to bow out. I'm going to bow out of this one. <laughs> but transfer for Toronto FC. They're going to have to continue to build that squad ahead of Lorenzo Insigne joining in the summer. Another team that's trying to figure out how on earth they're going to build their squad is Inter-Miami, who are dealing with (laughs) some roster constraints, some sanctions from Major League Soccer for the whole 5DP thing. That was still just incredible content. I cannot believe that happened. Uh, they've they've loaned LGP, Leandro Gonzalez-Pirez, to River Plate in Argentina. Christian Macoon, they traded to Charlotte as they're working their way into the league for their debut in a couple of months. Reports about Nico Figal heading to Boca Juniors in Argentina. It looks like that's going to happen. Reports about Blaise Matuidi not returning for 2022, which I think would be good for that team. Ryan Shawcross retired today. Claudio Pizarro was loaned to Monterrey a couple of weeks ago now, I believe. That's six players. Six players that are already off the squad in this offseason. They've already made a couple of other moves as well that are getting players off the books. Chris Henderson is coming in and retooling this team. He's not holding back in really revamping things in Miami, which I think is really important for them. I think it's necessary for them as they try to actually turn into a team that can compete in the Eastern Conference. And all of those departures, all of those players being moved aside, they're going to wear pink though, Joe. So they're totally going to win MLS Cup? 
Yeah, yeah, I guess. I cannot for the life of me. I'm excited they're wearing pink. I mm-hmm. cannot for the life of me figure out why they didn't do that like before. Where is why, why has that not happened in either of the last two seasons? The pink they've worn is that is not like, a pretty common theme for this franchise? Though? Why didn't you do that before? I don't understand. <laughs> I don't from the soccer operation side to the branding side. It looks like things are turning around and heading into the right direction. But the hole is is deep, guys. The hole is deep. The hole is deep. And that's, I believe, uh, the proposed stadium location for their eventual <laughs> Miami Stadium is in the hole. I think that's where it's going to be. Uh, one new one move that I had my eye on, I found particularly interesting, was Dom Dwyer being traded uh, from Toronto to FC Dallas. FC Dallas acquired the number three pick in the 2022 MLS Super Draft. Uh, as, and, I, and Dom Dwyer, Toronto in exchange getting 50000 in GAM. FC Dallas then immediately buying Dom Dwyer out of his deal. Uh, so basically it is Dallas getting to buy out Dom Dwyer and getting that third pick in the Super Draft. And it seems like maybe there's going to be some things behind the scenes hap- happening here. I've not seen reporting to this. I've not talked to anybody in particular. I just wonder if maybe there will be some sort of uh, like unofficial check written for the amount that Dom Dwyer was, was bought out for by FC Dallas from Toronto to Dallas. But either way... Uh, I guess that these are the kind of strange little machinations you get in Major League Soccer yep. that I think are interesting to me and Joe and infuriating to Graham. Yes, but also the- infuriating to me as well. Just okay, interesting and infuriating. It's both eyes. This this deal in particular, when I saw when yeah. I saw it reported, I was like, this this is why there's no transfer chat around MLS is because people don't understand it. I, yeah. I can't pretend I fully understand what's happened here. I understand parts of it, but the full mechanics of it, nope. The abbreviated summary, as I understand it, is that teams are allowed to buy out one player per season yep. uh, and still get like the assistance that would go with that. Toronto very likely to have to buy out two forwards uh, this season, so this move allows them to not have to buy out one, so they can, in theory, buy out Josie Altidore if and when that happens. Uh, and so th- this makes it possible for them to do so. They give up their super draft spot, which maybe they weren't planning on building around too much anyway. And then maybe there is, maybe there's just like a very fancy dinner that somebody from Toronto pays for, for somebody from FC Dallas. And that's how it works out. Yeah, this is, this is Taylor, you're exactly right. They can't buy out Josie and Dom Dwyer in the same offseason. And it, all signs are pointing to the fact that Toronto are going to buy out Josie Altidore. So they get Dwyer headed to Dallas. Dallas can buy him out. There's some cap relief for Toronto. Dallas get an asset as well. And there's maybe even some more MLS stuff behind the scenes other than that. But that's the, the general bones of this move. And it's, it's an MLS one. That's for sure. It's an MLS one. It's an MLS one. Another MLS one, uh, like by nature of its definition would be the MLS <laughs> Super Draft, which is happening later today. I think 3 p.m. We're recording this about 1230 in the afternoon on Tuesday. Uh, Joe, I, as I understand it, you've got a detailed list of players that are going to have a massive impact this coming season. And we're going to break. All right, everybody. <laughs> Joe does not have that list. Uh, Joe does have uh, many other names to be discussed uh, in parts two and three. We're going to talk about some Americans who actually did things uh, this past weekend. Uh, any other MLS things from you, Graham Ruffin, uh, draft-related or MLS-related? Um, kit-related. I believe the, a lot of the, the kits are coming out later this month, or they're going to start trickling out. I saw a date 26th of January. Apparently, the, the first one's going to re- be released, so that's where my attention is. That's I, Grant's I, Christmas I can morning you, right there. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I can tell you right now, it doesn't matter what that pink Inter-Miami shirt is going to look like. I will be buying that. <laughs> Got to rep Phil Neville's club. Got to rep Phil Neville's club. <laughs> oh, why did you have to do that, Joe? <laughs> 
that's the rules, man. That's just the rules. Uh, one more thing we should mention, uh, the USMNT January camp roster. There is a roster of sorts. We have 20 players uh, with the addition of Austin Trusty. They are training, and then the official roster, I think, will be announced at the end of this training camp. Some players will remain Heavily augmented, we would assume, by European players coming in. But this basically allows Greg Berhalter to get some guys into camp to keep the fitness up, keep the training going uh, for players who are out of season, which is the case with, I believe, every single player on this list. Joe, of those 20, are there any that you're particularly excited to see get the opportunity? Less so that will maybe be there, have a role in qualifying, but just you think deserved this call-up? Yeah, there's a couple names that I think are interesting and I think have have deserved a look in a January camp type setting. Dewan Jones is one of them. I talked about this with Jason Davis on his radio show last week. He's been good as a left back and a right-footed left back really can play on either side of the defense. He's been good for the Revs over the last couple of seasons after coming out of the Super Draft. There is value there. Uh, he, he's got speed. He's got some technical ability as well. And he's a starter on the best team that Major League Soccer in terms of points has ever seen. Between that and his skills, I think he's deserving of a call-up in this situation. And then the other one is Georgi Mihailovic, who was off training, I believe, with Bologna in Syria during Camp Candy Cane, during the December camp and, and, and friendly against Bosnia and Herzegovina. So he wasn't able to be involved there, but it's good to see after the season he had with Montreal, it's good to see him getting involved with the U.S. and getting another look after, let's not forget, he was involved and started and was hyped up quite a bit by a lot of folks during Baralter's first ever camp back in January 2019. Also, another tie-in, that camp was in Phoenix, Arizona. And guess where this current camp is? It's also in Phoenix, Arizona. I could throw a rocket. Okay, I couldn't. I don't think I could throw it that far from where I am. But I could get in a car and drive and be there in 40 Leaving minutes, yourself, darn it, to go stalk Georgi Mihailovic, which I'm not going to do. But uh, there's a tie-in there, a Phoenix-based tie-in. And then it does stand to reason that at least a few of these players will be with uh, the U.S. for World Cup qualifying. I would say there's a chance we get three center backs from this group. I think uh, Austin Trusty, maybe less so, but Walker Zimmerman, we would assume, will be there. Miles Robinson, certainly. Uh, also seeming unlikely to move. He and Greg Berhalter have talked about that, or less likely to move than we would have thought at the end of last season. But it seems like they've had conversations, Berhalter and uh, Miles Robinson, about moving versus staying and what that could mean for him and stability and all that good stuff. Aaron Long also in the conversation. We know that he would have been in the conversation to start at center back, has the long-term injury, but is coming back. And I and I do wonder if all three perform capably if we see them included in what I would guess would be an expanded squad since we will have three qualifiers. Yep. I'm guessing we're going to get a, a 26 to 28 player squad for those January, February games. Joe, are you okay with all three of those center backs uh, being kept over? Um, I'm okay, certainly with Zimmerman and with Robinson. I'm less sure about Aaron Long. I don't, yeah. I don't know if he's going to be needed, but the asterisk here, Taylor, is it's going to need to be a bigger squad, not just because of those three games, but because of COVID. Baralter said yesterday there have been some cases of guys entering camp with COVID, talking about the camp right now. Most are asymptomatic, and he said now it's a bit of a waiting game. But then he, he mentioned later how he has some contingency plans, and it sounds like he's planning to bring even a bigger roster than normal for those three games at end of January, early February, to make sure he has enough bodies. And so Aaron Long might be necessary. And if I'm looking at the other center backs on this roster, if Long is fit and ready to go a full 90, I think you do bring him in, into something like this. So it's going to be interesting to see what this roster looks like and, and maybe how much bigger it is than the other World Cup qualifying rosters that we've seen in the past. Graham, when we talk about like the peculiarities of Major League Soccer and the roster machinations and everything, the U.S. men's national team also has some weirdness to them when they have these sort of out of out of FIFA date camps and games. 
is that an odd thing for you? Can you, are you able to get your head around that? Is that something you would like to see Scotland replicate? Is having different camps at different times, or does this feel like a uniquely American slash uh, teams that are like countries that have different leagues than the norm sort of thing? Yeah, I, th- I think it's pretty uniquely American. I'm not sure what value something like this would be to to Scotland or most European nations, to be honest, because obviously the US has that split between American, North American-based players with the MLS season and the, and the calendar that it has, and then the, the European-based teams and how they have a, a different calendar. This this one, this camp isn't so peculiar to me. It makes sense. You know, obviously players are going to be pretty far along in their preparations for the, for the new MLS season, so this isn't too different to having, you know, maybe a, a June camp that we would have you know in, in in europe which is obviously in between seasons the we- the weird one for me was camp candy cane like that that was a very strange one even stranger that you had a game against uh bosnia <laughs> which uh was was very peculiar to me because obviously bosnia have a lot of players playing in a european seasons but this this camp is I, I i can get my head around this one so what i'm hearing is that graham doesn't care about Stuart finley ryan gold uh lewis morgan johnny <laughs> russell or danny wilson those guys well, steve clark definitely doesn't <laughs> Johnny Russell Russell in particular certainly should have had a cap for the last squad and the fact that he wasn't given a or sorry maybe not a cap he should have had a call up for the last squad Mm -hmm. the fact he wasn't given a call up and Gold's case was really pretty strong as well towards the end of the MLS season um, last year I just don't see those guys getting a call up from when they're in MLS which is obviously ridiculous because the difference between the Scottish Premiership and MLS is minimal if anything and yet there's loads of scotch premiership players in our squad so it's a yeah. it's a peculiar one get that january camp going graham and then you get some of those guys in and it all works out just, and you qualify just johnny russell cup. and ryan gold yeah just, <laughs> just those two just the two own. of them in camp it's a two-person camp we're gonna see how it plays out uh graham from the american perspective uh since you are uh, now an honorary american fan mm-hmm. uh who are the players are there any players in this camp that you do have any sort of affinity for you do have any yeah. sort of like particular leanings towards well, with this particular camp, a player that and he he was in the he was in the last camp, he was in the the December camp. But Jordan Morris, obviously, mm. because he made his mm. uh, return after two years in uh, to the to the camp to the to the squad, the USMNT squad in December, he did reasonably well in in that camp and in that game. So I'm interested to see if he can pick up where he left off. Um, he's obviously maybe on the bubble slightly in terms of the attacking options. And I wrote a piece for the Guardian this week on. The, the the race to be the US's striker for the 2022 um, World Cup. He is maybe, as I say, on the bubble of that race, on the edges of that. But a good performance here, or sorry, good, um, you know, like camp, and then some good performances in the in the qualifiers. You know, he he could force his way up the pecking order. And he's a player that just because of obviously the injury misfortune he's had, I will always gravitate to Jordan Morris. So yeah, I'm interested to see how he does. For what it's worth, this is not a comforting thing. I think the race for that spot is pretty much mostly people who should be on the bubble or on the outside, but are still in contention. I think that's a pretty wide open position, so I think that's a great shout. Graham, Joe, it feels weird to not be going deeper on this roster, but given that it's a a sort of temporary team until we get the full squad, they're playing closed-door friendlies and scrimmages, but we're not going to get a ton of opportunity to see these players. It feels like we're giving them the appropriate treatment right now, and then much... Uh, deeper, uh, in-depth coverage once we get a more uh, fleshed-out roster. Yep, totally right there with you. Cool. It'll be inter- the, the really interesting part is how many of these guys stick around and who are they joined by from Europe, and we'll find that out later on. All right, we will find that out later on. We will talk more Americans in action later on, but first we're going to take a break to hear from today's sponsors. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? 
Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. All right, gentlemen, we are back. Let's talk some Americans in action this weekend. And let's start, Joe Lowry, with Ricardo Pepe, who makes his debut for Augsburg. It's exactly how we thought it would go in the sense that (laughs) they lost and he didn't get a ton of time on the pitch. I would have loved for this to be a, a goal or two goals or an assist or something like that. Alas, that was not meant to be. Alas, you're so right, Taylor. This this wasn't this wasn't the best performance in terms of on field stuff. Not really that Ricardo Pepe did a whole lot of things wrong. Because I don't think he did. There's some things we can nitpick, and maybe we'll talk about that later. I mentioned a couple things on yesterday's show. But more so, just the fact that he didn't have a lot of chances to do anything. He played the last 30 minutes of this game. Augsburg lost, as you said, Taylor de Hoffenheim and Chris Richards. But there just isn't a lot going on in attack for Augsburg. And that's not all that surprising. The three of us talked about that, I believe, last week. We're not blindsided by anything really that's happening on the field for Augsburg right now. What I do want to say up front is congratulations to Ricardo Pepe, right? How cool of a moment is this? I believe a day before his 19th birthday, he just turned 19, I think, after this performance. Just a great opportunity for him to go and get some time, and it's good and encouraging that he's playing so quickly after moving, getting minutes against a team like Hoffenheim that has a lot of quality. I think there's a lot to like about what this performance represents, maybe less to like about what's happening on the field for Augsburg right now. Yeah, and we're talking about a, a, an Augsburg team that the kind of comfort I drew from this one, aside from it being his debut, aside from him not even being 19 yet, is that it wasn't a Hoffenheim 3-1 to win, but Hoffenheim with 
72% possession, Augsburg creating nothing, and it being that sort of like, oh boy, he's not going to get many opportunities, he's not going to get a ton of service, looking at the stats. 58-42 in favor of Hoffenheim in ball possession, but uh, total shots 13-10 to in favor of Hoffenheim, chances created 12-9, to uh, big chances 5-1, to not ideal for Augsburg, 0.57 expected goals, but I... That there is possession in the uh, attacking third, that there are chances being created, does have me feeling slightly more positive than other Americans uh, who are maybe getting fewer opportunities uh, for clubs in Europe. Graham, uh, how concerned or not concerned do you think Americans should be about this move, given Augsburg's relative... Uh, like relatively poor standing. I think they're now in the relegation playoff yeah. spot uh, and maybe maybe some concern there. So I, I ask you how you're feeling. Yeah, I, I understand those concerns because obviously Augsburg are not a particularly good team. But with regards to, to Pepe as an individual, I wouldn't be too concerned at all, really, to be honest. And even I know a lot of people might look at how he only comes off the bench in this game against Hoffenheim, but he'd only signed a few days ago and he got a, a good chunk off the bench, you know, 30 minutes, which I think both of those things prove Augsburg are desperate to get him as involved as quickly as they can. You know, he didn't come on for the last five minutes. He didn't come on for stoppage time. You know, he got a, a solid third of, of a match just a few days after he'd signed. So they've got um, Eintracht Frankfurt up next at home this weekend. And I'll be interested to see if he starts that match because obviously then he'll have had pretty much two weeks at his at his new club. And, and that's maybe a, a, he will have had more time on the training ground, obviously. He'll be more in tune with how they play. So... Yeah, I anticipate he might potentially start that match. And I, and I know it was difficult for him to get involved in this game. If you look at the stat sheet, you know, nine touches, four pass attempts, 100% pass completion, zero chances created, one shot. And then his expected goal as an individual was uh, 0.10. That isn't, you know, that, <laughs> that uh, emphatic, <laughs> shall we say. However... I did see a lot of good in terms of his energy. He didn't touch much of the ball, as I say, only um, nine touches of the ball, but he was um, he was getting around the pitch well. He looked he looked fit, which I think at this stage of the season, where there are a lot of injuries with other players who maybe haven't had a bit of a break like he has after the the MLS season, that counts for something. And there was also a moment where. Um, he held up the ball well and he played a pass out and Augsburg had players going forward and it just felt like when I was watching highlights, I didn't watch this one live, I thought that it was almost certain he was going to get the ball back and they didn't play that ball into yep. him. And that was the moment, like that was felt like a big missed opportunity. That felt like maybe his moment to grab a goal or at least get a meaningful shot on, on target. And even that I wouldn't be too worried about because that just reeks of a team that isn't used to having him around in, in the final third. And so in, in the coming weeks and between now and the end of the season, he will start getting those passes. He'll start getting the ball back. He'll start getting put in more goal scoring um, uh, positions. I also thought in terms of his, his passing, as I say, four passes is not exactly a, a great sample size, but he completed all of them. And I thought there was a general sharpness in, in his play. As I said, I know it's not much to go on. But that's kind of going to be the way of things for for him at Augsburg until now and uh, from now until the end of the season. He's not going to see much of the ball. He's not going to have many chances. So that sharpness is really important. And I saw that in in his game. So between those two things, there were some encouraging signs. Graham has laid out why we enjoy doing this show because if you're just looking at the box score, you see oh he didn't score. He didn't create many opportunities. Watching the game and seeing a teammate missing that pass, it sort of shows you where Augsburg is in terms of their overall attack and how that can evolve and how maybe he is a player that can help them evolve that. So I think that's certainly a positive. Joe, did you see positives from uh, Pepe's performance? Yeah. Lots of keys in there. 
Uh, lots of peace. Lots of peace. Graham highlighted fitness there, and I think that's huge, especially ahead of, from a national team perspective, three important games for the U.S. coming up in just a few weeks, just a couple weeks now, really. Having Pepe get on the field and get minutes and look ready to go, look energetic, granted it was only a 30-minute appearance, but still, to have those opportunities I think is great, and for him to look ready is another really important thing for the U.S. because he hasn't been playing, right? FC Dallas hasn't played a game in a couple of months now, at least. So getting him some reps and him looking prepared in those reps, I think, is important. That's a positive for me. I, I like the fact that he got on the field. Again, there's there's good things to take out of this from a more symbolic, getting involved with Augsburg type of perspective. I have still lots of concerns about Augsburg as a team, and I have concerns about that same sequence that Graham described with Pepe making good off-ball run and not getting fed. I have concerns about that happening a lot throughout the rest of the season. Maybe I'll be wrong on that. This is not a everything's bad situation at all, but I, I still have concerns to pair with the positive from a performance like this. All right. I'm going to be talking with Manuel Faith of uh, Transfermarkt about the Bundesliga. We're going to do our Bundesliga catch-up. They've, they've resumed from the winter break, and I will be asking about Augsburg and Ricardo Pepe. I look forward to him crushing my dreams pretty effectively. <laughs> he tends to do that from time to time when it comes to my expectations of Americans in the Bundesliga. So let's talk about Americans elsewhere. Anything else you all wanted to mention when it comes to Ricardo Pepe? Bring the hat, baby. Bring the hat. <laughs> yeah, the hat. Oh, and uh, Joe, I guess we should mention, uh, like, it's a sign of the times how excited we are about Ricardo Pepe that I feel like normally we'd be really excited that Chris <laughs> Richards were starting for Hoffenheim in a win over Augsburg. Uh, we're barely even mentioning that here, but right. we should note he did right. that and we fully expect to see him uh, in that January camp. Amen. Yeah, if he's not, man, I'll be so sad. I like Chris Richards a lot and getting him conti- continuing to get him integrated into the national team is, is huge. He's getting minutes for Hoffenheim. I don't really know what else do you want. Uh, what else I would like is for Yunus Musa to not give the ball away, which is something he did uh, for Valencia in their 4-1 loss to Real Madrid. This was a confusing game for me, not just because Yunus Musa played in a somewhat strange position, at least for yeah. me. Sometimes he was central, sometimes he was out on the right, sometimes he was a second striker. Seemed to have a lot of freedom to roam, and I thought was mostly good. It's just that moment I mentioned on Weekend Review when he's basically on the ball, takes a little bit too much time, tries to be a little bit too elaborate, a little too clever, gets stuck from Madrid, go the other way, score their third goal, and Yunus Musa is subbed out minutes later. That felt like, all right, we got to change it up, and you can't be making those types of mistakes. Obviously, he, he is still very young, but that, Joe, was a bummer of a moment for me in what was otherwise an okay performance for Yunus Musa against Madrid. Yeah, I, c- I can't say it much better than that, Taylor. It's hugely disappointing to see something like that. And it, it, these things happen, right? These mistakes mm-hmm. happen. The end result is brutal, right? If he if he loses the ball here and Real Madrid don't go the other way and score, or maybe the shot is missed, right? Maybe that goal doesn't actually go in from was was it Vinicius, right? Vinicius Jr. Yeah. in that in that shot. If that doesn't go in, we're probably not talking about this in the same way, which is kind of an indictment of how I think about soccer sometimes and, and how I don't think about things properly. Because still, it's a giveaway in a bad spot. But this kind of stuff happens, and it happened for Musa actually a couple times in this game. He lost the ball to Tony Kroos on that sequence, and then in the 27th minute, he passed the ball right to Tony Kroos on accident and, and thought he was hitting a, a one of his sixes, but ended up giving the ball away. So there were a couple of those costly giveaways in central midfield, which I think is slightly out of character. Taylor, correct me if yeah. I'm wrong, but from my perspective... It's kind of out of character for Musa, which is one reason why I'm not all that bothered. Really, I'm not all that bothered by these mistakes, because generally speaking, I've always seen Musa be a pretty protective presence on the ball. He's not 
this really aggressive passer. And that's one thing I'd like to see him improve in this game. He has some good passes in this game, but he's not going to spray the ball around. What he does is he uses his frame very effectively to shield the ball, and he uses his speed and quality on the ball to slalom through players and, and progress it forward into a more advantageous attacking position. He's good at carrying the ball and, and keeping it and keeping possession and even being safe at times. And he did a lot of that in this game, but then he also had those couple of moments that we've detailed already. So kind of a mixed bag for Musa in this game. I, I still am hugely high on Musa. Nothing he could do in any one game would make me stop loving him or stop appreciating him as a player. I I, I think I might like Yunus Musa too much, guys. Yeah, I might need some saving here. But either way, a mixed bag in this one, and unfortunate that he has those couple of giveaways. Uh, if you like him too much, I like him way too much. Because, I, Joe, I'm absolutely with you. That there is the end, Graham. I'm then going to ask for your general thoughts so you can bring us back to Earth, potentially. But uh, in this yeah, one... Yeah, I feel I might do that. <laughs> uh, I'm fine with that. Uh, because, like, yes, Joe, I think I'm with you that normally to see him go on those sort of the Musa maneuver, the slaloming run... Uh, the kind of aggressive drive forward with the ball. I think that's where he he often shines when he's playing kind of with momentum, with speed. I think uh, defenders are always going to have to kind of risk that. Do I foul him? Do I try to make a play? But if I try to make a play, I may end up fouling him in an even worse way or even worse position. I think he can make defenses really uncomfortable. In this moment, it's really bad, and it's exacerbated by Sillison, uh, the goalkeeper for Valencia, gets up, and I, re- and I didn't know it was Yunus Musa when the goal happened, but I saw Sillison screaming at somebody, clearly blaming them for giving the ball away. Diakabi, the center back, also turns and has a word. And that was when I thought, oh no, please don't be. And sure enough, it was Yunus Musa. So I think that moment made it loom that much larger, that Madrid kind of go back right down and punish them accordingly, makes it even worse. But then overall, I look at Yunus Musa in this game. It is against a Real Madrid team that I think stymied uh, Valencia pretty effectively and really limited their ability to build out. And that's when this dispossession occurs is he's trying to decide between find an open pass or continue to dribble. And there are no open passes, but I think that's what he's looking to do. And in that delay, he ends up holding the ball too long, gets it poked away and away uh, Real Madrid goes. But that aside, I thought it was a an okay performance. And I think we saw moments where he looked good. We also saw moments where he got easily bodied by David Alaba, which is not my favorite thing. I don't love seeing him get kind of hip-checked very easily, very readily at that. So, Graham, with all that said, it sounds like you are about to uh, pour some cold water on both myself and Mr. Lowry. I was I was definitely a bit more sour on this performance from Musa. And and the caveat I will say is some of that was down to the standard of, of the opposition Graham he was up against and the fact it's an away game against Real Madrid. Is there a more difficult game in Spanish football right now? I don't think there is. Some of that was down to, yes, his own performance. And then some of it was also down to the tactical setup by uh, Bordelas, which I didn't really understand at all and certainly didn't understand with regards to what Moose's role in this team. So I think one of the most troubling things about this uh, performance for me was it was very difficult to work out. You referenced it, Taylor, in, in your intro there about Musa. It was kind of w- difficult yeah. to work out what his role was, what his position was. Um, there were times when it seemed to be as one half of a front two and Valencia were sending crosses into him and there was a good chance that comes in the second half from a cross into him. He doesn't get anywhere near the ball. The ball comes out to the edge of the box. Daniel Vass has a, a really good save. Courtois, uh, sorry, a really good shot and Courtois has a really good save. But I, I still, I don't feel like that's really making the most of Moose's qualities. He didn't really get anywhere near any of the balls into into the middle he comes off after 66 minutes and Valencia win a penalty from one of those balls into the box almost kind of immediately after he comes off and I can see why Bordelas wanted to 
use deliveries into the area to unsettle Real Madrid. In fact, that is a pretty good way to get at them. Militao can be pretty vulnerable in that sense, and Alaba isn't that sort of centre-back. He's not a big physical presence. So you can get at them with with, uh, with crosses. The best I can come up with was that Bordelas wanted to use Musa to pick up any loose balls off of Gomez, um, but it didn't really it didn't really pan out that way, and and so I I just didn't feel the the plan worked very well. He actually started pretty vibrantly, uh, Musa. I thought that the first few minutes were pretty decent, but then after that. Um, I just struggled to work out what his purpose was. And and I think this match was further confirmation that Bordelas might not be the best fit for Musa. So for anyone who maybe didn't watch Bordelas at Hitafe, he loves a 4-4-2 yep. and he's carried that over to Valencia. They played in a 4-4-2 in this match. They played a 4-4-2 in pretty much every match they have played all season since he took over. And as you guys have previously discussed about the the US um, national team midfield, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but it seems like Musa's found a home for himself in there alongside McKenney and Adams. So that's a that's a midfield trio. Is that is that correct? Oh is yeah, that, oh yeah, yeah. So I've yet to be convinced that he has the positional discipline to play in a double double pivot, which would maybe be his optimum position in this Valencia team. But he's not he's not even playing in that double pivot. He's playing in this weird hybrid attacking role, wing role, central role. And maybe that positional discipline comes with maturity, but just at the moment, I, I don't really know what his position is in this Borderlands team, whether it's as an attacker or as a, as a central midfielder in that double pivot system. He's an awkward fit all over the pitch, and that's a bit of an issue. The challenge for Musa is that he just can't break past Carles Soler and Daniel Vaz in the middle, right? In, in those two spots in the 4-4-2, sure. because I do think... We haven't really seen it, but I do think that that double pivot spot, one of those two six or eights or whatever you want to call them, that's where Musa's most natural fit would be in this team. We've seen him thrive centrally, admittedly in a different midfield orientation with the U.S. But we've seen him do really well in the center of the field, driving play forward and controlling and pressing and doing all of those things. But he just has rarely gotten a chance to do that with Valencia. I think actually one of the few times he has... It was in a game against Real Madrid last season, if I'm remembering correctly. He's just played so few minutes in central midfield. Instead, he's having to pick up spot minutes as a quote-unquote 10, which I don't recall ever seeing before, to be honest. He's had to pick up spot minutes on the left or on the right side of that 4-4-2. That's a little bit of an issue right now. I don't think it affects a whole lot for Musa. He's super young, and eventually he will find a move and find a more permanent spot on the field at club level, either with Valencia or someone else. He's still going to be a key player for the national team. But it makes his contributions in any particular game for Valencia a little harder to come by. It makes meaningful contributions a little harder to come by because he's not at home in in the position on the field that he's playing. That's number one. Number two, for for Musa right now, a concern I do have with him under Bordelas is I just don't think that Bordelas spends a whole lot of time or, or places a big emphasis on attacking play or on possession attacking play, right? That's not his game. He's 4-4-2. He's going to play against the ball, quick transitions, all of those things. That's great. And that teaches players things, but it doesn't certainly line up with the emphasis that Greg Berhalter seems to place on playing with the ball and a lot of the restrictions that the U.S. has against teams like Honduras and against teams like Panama in work of qualifying. So there's a bit of a conflict in ideas there. And I don't know. I've never been in that situation I don't know how hard it is as a player to transition from one style to another and have to deal with those different emphases, but it is something that I think about with Musa in, in, in his future with Valencia is I don't think the styles match up all that well. Yeah, and I think to Graham's point with that 4-4-2 shape, it meant that Musa was higher up the pitch. I think theoretically tasked with like stepping to the center backs and not letting them have a ton of time and space when they got on the ball, the plan being don't 
let the midfield for Madrid get possession. Don't let them build through the middle. But then because that 4-4-2 was a little bit spread through the middle, I think there were gaps. And what I kept seeing was Musa getting bypassed and then having to kind of drop deep to be a more central defensive midfielder. And they were fine at times in that shape. But I think there were some miscommunications. There was maybe a lack of overall plan uh, for Valencia in this game. Joe, if it is Daniel Vaz who he can't get by, uh, the reporting I saw uh, before we started recording was that he is heavily linked with a move to Atletico Madrid, amongst other clubs. So maybe mm-hmm. that's how Yunus Musa eventually bypasses him, is by waiting for him to move and then taking that spot. I'm down. I'm here for it. I think Musa <laughs> just playing the long game, Taylor. That's there all. Else. Let's get everyone else out, and then there's only one left, and its name's Yunus Musa. Uh, there's only one more player we're going to talk about in this segment, <laughs> and that player is Weston McKinney. He played the whole game for Juventus in their 4-3 to win over Roma. We didn't spend a ton of time talking about Weston McKinney or this game on the weekend review, but maybe we should have, Graham, because watching yeah. it again, watching all of his moments, I would say a pretty impressive performance from Weston McKinney. Yeah, so as you say, we, we did talk about this in weekend review, and I watched this game live, and for whatever reason, I can't fully explain it, McKinney wasn't a player that really stood out to me when maybe it was just there was too much chaos going on and I didn't I didn't really do much tactical Fair. analysis when I was watching it live but watching it back yeah he was he was one of Juventus's best performers um and that means McKenney's now played 90 minutes in Juventus's last two matches and he's been pretty impressive in in both of those matches he was doing an excellent job of I mean he was doing an excellent job of a lot of things in this match but running through some of the things he was doing he was doing an excellent job of holding up the ball, which isn't necessarily something you would think a central midfielder would have to do that often. But the way that Juventus were playing, he was often the, the one to hit with an out ball and he'd spray that, spray it out to either wing. There was one instance in the first half where he drew and he drew four players and held off a couple of them and then released, uh, it must have been De Shiglio down the, uh, down the left side. There was an instance as well where Quadrado fired a ball into him on the edge of the Roma box, and he made it stick. He totally controlled it instantly, and then played a pass, I think, again, out to the, to the left um, channel, where, where Juventus got a shot away. And I just thought that stickiness was one of the best things about this performance by McKenney. Juventus were putting the ball into him, it was sticking with him, and he was playing a pass, he was doing something productive with it. And I think one of the most notable things about this performance and recent performances from McKenney for Juventus has been how aggressive he has been in the final third of the pitch. So he had, um, I was reading he's had five shots in his last two games. Before that, he'd had just one in his previous six. So that kind of tells you there's been a change of focus. Maybe Allegri has seen him as more of a, an attacking figure. And it was very common in this match to see him in attacking positions obviously that's not to say that he wasn't in deep positions at some points he's obviously central midfielder doing that side of the job but um yeah I think that maybe a, a corner has been turned for him at Juventus obviously there's been a lot of speculation about his future towards the end of last year with all the the stuff with the the US camps and those qualifiers and and obviously the the, the misdemeanors shall we call call them there was also kind of speculation that that behavior or conduct or what you want to call it was was spreading to club level and as I say speculation about his future but it feels like he's he's come on quite a bit from that certainly in terms of his on the field performances and, and Allegri look Juventus could sell anyone in that squad at the moment it wouldn't surprise me if, if Dybala left Juventus or Chiesa or any of those players you know Chiellini or Benucci so everyone in that squad is pretty much up for sale at the moment but at the moment he'd be one of the last players I think Allegri would want to see leave. Joe, uh, that sequence that Graham mentioned earlier when the ball eventually goes out wide to DeCilio, I think you sent a clip of that to the group. I'm assuming you were equally impressed by that sequence and others in this game? 
Oh, yeah. There's so many good moments from McKenny. We send some back and forth to each other before we record so we can kind of get a glimpse of what other people are thinking before we start doing the show. But there's too many moments in this game to actually send. I I pretty much just would have sent a whole compilation of Weston (laughs) McKenny out to both of you guys because he's getting touches on the ball and he's doing meaningful things with those touches. He's smooth in possession. Sometimes a touch will get away from him and and that that, that kind of thing does happen still from time to time. But man, he had a number of good moments where he tucks in between the lines because to to back up one step here, he defended in this game, McKenny, as a wide midfielder, either on the right or on the left. And then once Juve won the ball back, he tucks inside and plays then as a central midfielder. He's done that a bunch for Juve dating back to last season and and blah, blah, blah. He, He does that stuff a lot. He tucked inside in into the half spaces or into the middle of the field and operated between the lines and had two or three or four really clean moments in those spaces where he's getting on the ball, good first touch, turning quickly, getting forward, driving towards the, the, the goal that they're going towards or playing a ball forward to a teammate, doing something to advance the attack. So he was clean in those spaces. He was really active, Taylor, and you sent a clip about this. He was really active in tracking back. He made life very difficult for Roma whenever they attacked down the wings. At the start, it was Roma's left side as McKinney defended on the right, and then he shifted more over towards the left side, and so life was harder for Roma's right side as they tried to attack down that side. McKinney was everywhere, and that's the kind of player he is. Between those touches, between the lines, and those defensive moments, runs behind the back line. He had a great moment where he's making this outside in run in behind Roma's defensive line, and he gets on the ball and then plays a nice little back heel to a teammate who's almost underlapping him in the attacking third just so many good things to like about McKenney in this game and so many good things to like about him as you think about his role with the national team man he's become an integral part when Weston McKenney plays it certainly feels like the U.S. is better off when he plays and gets a lot of touches it feels like they're better off he makes things happen he's the most creative of that preferred midfield three of Musa McKenney and Adams he's the rangiest he's an influential guy in that space and we're seeing that with Juve right now too I also enjoyed his defensive work, Joe, as you did. Uh, From a numbers standpoint, it seems odd because I think he's three for nine in duels, one for three in aerial duels, and zero tackles attempted. And so on the surface, that can look like, oh, he didn't really do that good of a job. He wasn't really winning tackles. He was getting sort of overworked in the air. But what I saw watching this game was him being sort of the the emergency defender of when Roma were on a break. It was generally Weston McKinney seemed to be the one working back to just slow that attack down, to make somebody cut back inside or cut the ball back. And even if he's not winning the ball, even if he's not taking it off of them or doing the professional foul, I think just buying those extra couple seconds and slowing down that transition oftentimes completely or eventually completely stopped that attack, uh, stopped, stopped that attacking transition. And I think that is such an important part of his game as well. It's that defensive effort to get back, to just make a play, to make the attacker think for a moment or second guess themselves. I think that is a big part of his game for club and country. So I enjoyed that from him. And I enjoyed, as Graham said, his attacking intent, that he was backing himself to have some shots to make some things happen, to play the ball forward, to carry the ball forward. I think it was an aggressive game, both defensively and in the attack, but I don't really have any issues with either one of those things, especially when it ends in a win for Juve, which it did. Uh, I'm not a huge Juve fan. I'm more of a Roma fan, so I didn't love that, but I did enjoy Weston McKinney uh, doing big things. Graham, where is Weston McKinney on your, if you were assembling a U.S. roster, like, what position would he be when it comes to adding him to the team? Like, is he your first first pick, your fifth pick, your tenth pick? How quickly are you putting him in there? Yeah, he's he's got to be what top 
four at least yep. you know maybe even more than more than that obviously those four positions you could kind of interchange them you know Dest, Reina, Adams, McKenney, Pulisic you know those sort of guys would would be your top five and they're all pretty interchangeable depending on what form they're in and whether they're getting game time but yeah McKenney is is someone who is definitely on the radar of non-US fans so there's there's uh some guys who maybe I think you, you two go slightly over the top what? with uh, <laughs> don't come you. for Kyle Duncan like that Graham yeah. why would you ever do that <laughs> no why yeah why would I do that I would never do that to Mr. <laughs> Duncan um but McKenney is definitely one you know he always gets mentioned with in terms of moves to the Premier League Tottenham seemingly are, are long-term admirers of him I'm not sure that maybe that's not a, a good move for him Conte would would certainly be be an attractive option for him to work under Conte but yeah what I'm saying is is he's a player who has good um, name recognition I think most football fans European football fans anyway know what he brings and it's good to see him back in form because obviously last season it seemed like he was becoming quite a an integral part of that Juventus team and then with the change of manager and everything it was a little bit of an unknown so I, I am personally pleased to to see him doing well again one question I was going to ask is has he always had such a big throw-in yes has, yeah. he, has he right okay it's I just so, never noticed it looks that so illegal to me it's, every it time I watch illegal. it it's it like super duper illegal, illegal. Yeah. you're like cocks it back over his shoulder which I don't think you're allowed to do at all no. gets momentum and swings it over I'm doing it right now in this little studio quote unquote studio I mean I was just knock some stuff down um, <laughs> but he like chucks that thing so far it's a great asset to a team genuinely it really is an effective attacking method when you get higher up into the final third but uh, yeah super illegal but I'm not yeah. about to, to expose him except you Know, on the total soccer show for thousands I'd, of people I, i'd never i genuinely never noticed that before and there was a moment where he launches a ball down the line to uh it must have been dabala i guess and i was like wow yeah. where on earth did that mm-hmm. come from he used <laughs> That's it, an absolute missile he uses it sometimes for the national team he definitely used it for shaka that was the thing that they would like sort of try to build around oftentimes though it doesn't get far enough into the box it's not quite the rory delap missile either what it is, as Joe said, is absolutely illegal. This is how I learned to do long throw-ins with the coach out of the caveat that, like, this is illegal, so try not to make it too obvious. But, yeah, I think the rules are that it has to go behind your head and that it has to be, like, even even force from both hands have to be involved. And as Joe said, it's definitely over one shoulder and he is using his dominant throwing hand with the other hand sort of also kind of involved, but it's mostly just an overhand throw that he adds the other hand to to give him some cover. But yeah, when you, you see can... the amount of spin that throw has, it gives it away pretty quickly that it's all one hand launching that ball down as, the pitch. But thus far, no one calling it, not, so let's uh... keep it going. As long as it's not a one-handed bowl out, you yeah. can pretty much get away with any yeah. throw-in in, in football. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I think we've spent some time with Weston McKinney, with Eunice Musa, Ricardo Pepe, many more Americans to be discussed in part three. First, one more break. Hey, folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early. There are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. All right, we are back. Graham has dropped some truth here today, including that David Alaba is not the imposing figure I imagined him to be. I kind of forgot that he started off as a fullback, now playing as a center back. And when Graham said he's not that imposing or not that big in the air, did not realize he's only 5'11", which is still, I think, a, a little bit taller than me, uh, or right around what I am. But I totally thought he was like six foot two or six foot three. So Graham has blown my mind there, has also correctly pointed out that uh, Joe and I sometimes can be a little bit too excited about certain American players or American players who have uh, one shining moment. Graham, is there any name that you can think of from the past or present that you think maybe we go a little bit extra on? Uh, I mean, is it just a broad uh, thing as opposed to one yeah, specific that's player? Just- this feels like a hospital pass because I'm going to say someone <laughs> who then explodes oh. into a superstar and then it's going to be held <laughs> against me forever. I don't know. I mean, look, I'm not saying this one player doesn't have promise and won't become an excellent player, but sometimes maybe slightly Brendan Aronson a, Aronson a little bit, given that he is... Look, I've not watched all that much of him, certainly not since he Joe moved to Salzburg. Fight but you. Yeah, I know. This is why I'm treading on eggshells. I'm really in dangerous territory here. <laughs> but yeah, I, I would like to see a bit more of Aronson, Aronson at kind of elite level before yeah. I personally make a judgment on him. No, I actually, I think that's fine. And I think a lot of the discourse around Brendan Aronson had to do with, he had, a, he had a really and almost weirdly productive stretch with the national team where he was like tapping in some goals and he had some assists, which I think are pretty noisy in terms of 
representing like actual contributions. Yeah, goals are important and that's what you build around. But you know, you can just end up with a goal on a platter and you didn't really have to do all that much. Or you can pass the ball to Christian Pulisic who then does eight step overs and scores and you can get an assist, right? So he was having these outsized goals and assist numbers. And I think a lot of people then just translated that in their minds to thinking this is the next Christian Pulisic and they're the exact same player. Maybe that's me being a bit harsh. But yeah, Graham, I'm all for Aronson making a move and I want to see this happen. I've talked about this before to Leipzig or to Leeds or to Milan or wherever. I mean, those are all been have been reported at this point. Get him uh, some reps with a top club. Get him out of the Austrian Bundesliga. Let him play some Champions League reps still after he moves on from Salzburg and, and we'll have a better idea of what kind of player he really is. Okay, so maybe I'm not so out of bounds there. Phew! You're good. No <laughs> so, hospital trip really. for you, Graham. No hospital <laughs> trip for you. I was running through the list really quickly. Like, all right, who could it be? I thought maybe it was going to be Miles Robinson based on a player that like hasn't quite earn the level of hype necessarily that Joe and I might be throwing their way. Maybe you uh-huh. Musa, I guess we already covered that one. Yeah, definitely not Musa. Musa is king forever. <laughs> Somehow I suspect that Graham isn't quite willing to advocate that position so far. <laughs> uh, so instead, let's talk about our final uh, few Americans. Should note, uh, this is the segment called, like, tell me if you've heard this before. Reporting out of Germany suggests that Gio Reyna could reportedly return <laughs> to action this weekend, uh, that he is back to full training. They might be trying to ease him back in, but if he is back to full training and full fitness, that means we might see him uh, for the upcoming World Cup qualifiers. But we shall see because we've seen reporting like this before. Similarly... We've talked about Josh Sargent before. We're going to do it again. Started as the number nine for Norwich in the FA Cup. Failed to score. Didn't have that strong of an impact against Charlton. And the Norwich mm. fans that I have uh, been reading their thoughts from, not not so great. <laughs> not so great, uh, Joe Lowry. It seems like maybe the feeling is not good enough at this level. And then there are concerns that maybe he isn't what they need if and when they get relegated uh, playing in the championship next season. Oh, man. It's just hit after hit for Josh Sargent, really. He gets minutes as a nine. Finally, after he did that before, he's played on the wing. He's played what feels like wing back at this point. I mean, he's done a whole bunch of stuff. and None of it seems to be working. Norwich is a really bad team. There's a whole lot going wrong for Josh Sargent right now. This is somewhat predictable that there's been a lot going wrong for Josh Sargent right now. Graham, you just wrote that piece for The Guardian. I, I haven't had a chance to read it yet. How are you feeling at all optimistic about Josh Sargent? Because I'm I'm no. not feeling optimistic <laughs> about him ahead of the World Cup that starts in less or about eleven months from now. So I did mention him in the the power ranking sort of section where I spat out a whole load of names, but he wasn't one that I focused on that much, quite frankly, because there hasn't been a great deal to focus on this season. I don't really know. And this match was a was the epitome of that. As you say, he starts in the number nine. Um, in this match on the defensive side of the ball I thought he did a decent job of leading the high press but in terms of his attacking output while I still have concerns over him he he had two shots only one of them on target and it was a fairly meek effort at the near post where the goalkeeper was was able to save I thought his best action in the whole game came really early on in the opening 10 minutes when he bursts down the the right channel he cuts back across for a teammate who completely misses the shot but that was about it and as you say there Joe Norwich are a bad team, so that is in his favour. Nothing is happening for Norwich yeah. at the moment. But this was an opportunity in his favoured position against a substandard opponent in Charlton, you know, a championship team. And I'm not convinced he really took his chance. Guys, guys, I have a theory. I have a theory here. So I, we didn't mention this in the MLS Quick Hit segment because it had either just come out or it came out right after we, we started going through that. But Alan Polito, sporting Kansas City number nine, is out for the season, according to Peter Vermees, with a knee injury. 
It's a huge blow for Sporting Kansas City. Let's get Josh Sargent on loan or on a permanent deal. I don't know what that's going to look like. Let's get him to SKC. I I honestly think, this is not me just trying to, to go through and spew out some nonsense. I think he would do well there. I think it would be a good environment for him, and I think he would improve as a player and have a much better route to eventually getting involved with the national team, potentially after the World Cup, maybe sneaking in before if he rounds into form. But I, I think SKC would be a much better environment for him than Norwich, and I think he would play a lot better. I think he would score a lot more goals, and I think we could actually have fun talking about Josh Sargent again. I would like to have fun talking about Josh Sargent. I would also like to give you credit, Joe. Maybe, I'm I'm assuming you knew this, but if not, you get extra credit. I think there's a really good chance that Sporting KC also owned Josh Sargent's rights. Uh, did, Did that factor into why you went with Sporting KC? I did. So I think he's from St. Louis, but obviously when he was he's, coming up through youth soccer, yeah. St. Louis City SC, all caps FC, didn't exist. And so I think there is a tying with SKC there, but but genuinely. He was in their catchment area at the time, there but you he go. did not sign for them because he wanted to go abroad. But I think they might still hold his discovery claims. Graham, sure. I know that you've got a lot of well, knowledge I'm when it comes to league. <laughs> I just, I just wanted to third a gram for there to be like three Mississippi <laughs> seconds of silence. Uh, but yeah, Joe, I think Sporting KC would be a great idea and maybe just get him into a new situation that isn't quite so high pressure yeah. quite so quickly because it does not seem to be going well. And I just want to emphasize that again, those uh, like the fan sites that I was reading, certainly there were some that were very critical and using harsh language, but it wasn't a ton of, you know, he's the worst. He's not good. It was a lot of like, to be fair, he was scouted, he was brought in, there must have been reasons, but it's just not working, it's just not clicking, and there's even like calls for, yes, but he's in the 11, we gotta get behind him, but it seems like those calls are few or far between as the results don't turn around. It it makes me wonder, though, Graham, since uh, you wrote the piece, if you were like a, a betting man, which I believe you are, if you were betting on a person to start as the number nine for the United States, if and when they qualified in 2022... Who would you put money on? Who do you feel like most confident could start for the United States? I mean, it's got to be Pepe, isn't it? Do you <laughs> I mean, guys dis- I mean the, with the, that? the delay and awkwardness from, I mean, it's got to be Pepe, right? Like it was, it shows <laughs> the lack of certainty I have about this question. Zardes. Zardes is my answer. <laughs> well, I'm not, that's not a joke. I'm, I'm being serious. Joe says Zardes. Pe- Pepe surely has the, the biggest, you know, upswing. He, he, obviously there's a lot of things that can go wrong for him in, in Augsburg, but yeah, I would, I would go, a year's a long time. How long is it until the World Cup? November. Uh, so however long it is between now and November, like 11 yeah, like, months, right? 10 months? 11 months. Yeah. I'm going to go with Ricardo Pepe. Yeah, let's go with that. Not probably not Josh Sargent. I, I was just going <laughs> to interject and say Norwich fans actually, from what I've seen, a lot of them actually appreciate. And I'm really trying not to do that Bart Simpson gif, you know, pushing forward the cake that says uh, at, least at least you tried. tried. Yeah, but he does work hard yeah. and he tries hard, and and fans respond to that sort of thing. Yeah. So I I don't think he's quite had the vitriol that he could have had had he maybe not been charging around the pitch, which is something he tends to do. Yeah, he's really benefiting from Todd Cantwell throwing a fit every other week. And thus and thus, there's much more frustration with certain other Norwich players who don't seem to be putting out that level of effort. So at least Sargent has that. I'll take that. Thank you, Graham, for that. Joe, what other Americans shall we talk about, maybe ideally in happier ways than Josh Sargent in Norwich? Sure. I'll start with one. Matthew Hoppy. Matthew Hoppy is back, there we go. baby. Dealing with a muscle injury. He's been out since October. 
He played 16 minutes off the bench for Mallorca, for Mallorca excuse me, in a 2-0 loss to Levante over the weekend. A bad result, really bad result for Mallorca. And not a great performance from Hoppy, but I think we can set even almost all of the on-field action aside in those 16 minutes. He had just a few touches. He's just getting back into things. And so for me, the positive here, just like with Pepe, is getting integrated, or in, in Hoppy's case, really reintegrated into a team getting a chance to go out and play and getting some reps in. That's all huge. I'm happy for Matthew Hoppy, and I'm, I'm glad he's getting on the back, getting back on the field for Mallorca. Uh, so we've got Hoppy back on the pitch for Mallorca. We've got Matt Miazga back and starting for Alavez. Mm-hmm. Graham, uh, you watched this game. You seem pretty hyped about Matt Miazga from what I've heard. He had a good game. So he he played 90 minutes in a, in a goalless draw for Alavez against uh, Athletic Club. Alaves are currently in the midst of a relegation battle, so nil nil actually against Athletic is, is a is a pretty good point. Every point counts for them at the moment. And um yeah, against Athletic, one of the things you don't want to do is give Inyaki Williams any space in behind, otherwise you are not catching him. He's a bit of an erratic finisher, but you don't want to give him a a twenty yard head start before he gets his, his shot away. And Miazga seemed to do a really good job of striking a balance between not staying too high and not dropping too deep. And there was a couple of times when his positioning just allowed him to cover the space and Williams never really got a chance to run at him. And Athletic were really testing him. I mean, I counted in the, the opening 25 minutes alone, they played six balls over the top, which were quite clearly designed to give Williams something to, to run at. And Miazga handled each of them really, really well. And his centre-back pa- uh, partner for Alaves, uh, Lejeune, alongside him he he had trouble a couple of times against Williams he got in a, in a little bit of a mess a couple of times and got a little bit lucky but Miazga was pretty cool throughout so yeah he didn't do anything terribly emphatic you know there wasn't any dribbles up the pitch there wasn't any magnificent pieces of skill there were a few times when he just got rid of a ball because it was a sensible thing to do but a, a very, very solid performance from him against uh, Athletic at the weekend. Miazga obviously playing as a center back. We get more center back depth for the U.S. men's national team and maybe even more, Joe, when it comes to Reggie Cannon, who is now apparently a right center back. It seems like that trend is continuing for Bovista right now. Reggie Cannon did start in that right center back spot. He's had a few games in that position for Bovista. I think it could be good and fun. I also am fully prepared to be wrong and have that whole experiment go very poorly. But the fact that he's getting some minutes there, I think, is interesting, and it fits my desire of wanting every single player to become a center back eventually. There we go. Or, or in Messi's case, I just wanted to become a, a like a deep lying playmaker. But uh, it looks like with Reggie Cannon, that actually might be happening, Taylor. Yeah, and I think we, we haven't watched a ton of Reggie Cannon this season. He wasn't playing for Bovista for a while. Now he is. Maybe we need to take a look and see what he's doing and where he might fit in uh, from a USMNT perspective. But nice to see Reggie Cannon back and involved. Good to see John Brooks back and involved for Wolfsburg in a 1-0 loss. Uh, we've reached the segment of the show where I will just start reading updates and uh, you guys can jump in. You can say stop if you have something to say. But John Brooks, <laughs> uh, anything to say about John Brooks before we keep it moving? That guy is tall. He is tall, unlike <laughs> David Alaba. Uh, Zach Steffen started in goal for Manchester City in the FA Cup. I got one. I got there one. Go. I watched the goal he gave up. I'm not a goalkeeping expert, but getting beaten at the near post is not a good thing. And that much. is what happened here. It's a really well-placed shot from the opposition. So I, I, I'm just not qualified to give judgment on this particular case. But go watch. Goalkeeping experts, if you're listening, go watch this goal and tell me if I'm just in maybe criticizing or pointing some questioning fingers at Zach Steffen or if it was just a great shot and he couldn't have done much. 
I'm never entirely certain where we are on the well-actually scale when it comes to the near-post goal, because for the longest time, it was if you're beaten at the near-post, you have done a bad thing. Then there was the, well-actually, it can be really hard to save goals at the near-post, and sometimes, statistically, you should be saving the far-post ones, and I think we've well-actually back to, don't get beat at the near-post if you're a goalkeeper. Uh, so <laughs> that's where I'm comfortable leaving that. Uh, we can well-actually that Christian Pulisic started for Chelsea in the FA Cup. Uh, no goals, no, I believe, direct assist but does draw a penalty that is then converted so in a way he gets an assist Joe. yeah baby i mean i'm just glad to see christian pulisic playing and hopefully he's ready and stays fit and covid free ahead of the u.s's qualifiers because if he's back and ready and fit in playing well he's a difference maker we just haven't seen that with the u.s in quite some time that basically since i said he should leave chelsea i think he's played or started every single match so if there's a u.s player <laughs> that you want to uh to have the opposite of a commentator's curse applied to them, then I will happily oblige. Which which players should that be? <laughs> Maybe Giorena. Can you say like, wait, would you be, <laughs> okay. would, Graham? Would you say Giorena's never going to get fit, and then he would yeah. get fit? Is that how this works? Yeah, Giorena will never play for Dortmund again. Good. Leave now. Thanks, Graham. Okay, there we go. Done. Breaking news that he's starting right now out of nowhere. They didn't even have <laughs> they've a game, just scheduled the game. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Um, Graham, when I asked you which Americans do you sometimes wonder if we are irrationally enthusiastic about, I was a little bit concerned you were going to mention the next player's name. And I do wonder if maybe you didn't because you were aware that I would come through this mic. Uh, but Tyler <laughs> Adams uh, played for RB Leipzig this weekend. What did you make of his performance? And overall, do you feel like we do or I do hype him up a little bit too much? Um, I feel you might slightly, Taylor. <laughs> just a tad. I, honestly, just not too much. Uh, it's not one that first popped into my mind because I'm a big Tyler Adams fan and I thought this this performance he put in for Leipzig at the, the base of midfield and their win over Mainz was pretty archetypal Tyler Adams. You know, it wasn't it wasn't an outstanding performance, but he does a lot of things really well and it looks like Tedesco's getting a lot of early buy-in at Leipzig and and he just does a good job of controlling things and keeping things ticking over and dropping deep to pick up the ball. He was in a midfield two with um, with Campo and then Sobosly's position slightly higher. 97 passes in this game. He completed 96.9% of them. No other player who started the match for Leipzig had a higher pass success rate. Um, just run through the stat sheet a bit more. One key pass, two tackles, four long passes, yeah, it was a pretty good all-round performance for a Leipzig team that is slowly getting back on the right track again this season. So no, I don't think you go too far over the top with Adams, but um, I'm not totally sure he is the new Roy Keane, as sometimes uh, you seem to think he is. I, I don't know what you're possibly talking about. Graham, in that stat <laughs> sheet, does it have his his total number of touches? Um, if not, that's fine. It will, I just don't have it. Uh-huh. The reason why if you I ask, talk, I will find it. <laughs> I, I saw Brian Charetta uh, reporting about Tyler Adams' game this weekend, and it was a ridiculous number in relation to passes. So I forget what the number was in terms of total passes completed or attempted, but if it was like 35, I think Adams had like 38 total touches, which tells you how quickly he was keeping that ball moving. And I think that is such a key part of what Leipzig want to do. So uh, I enjoyed everything I saw and everything I saw written about Tyler Adams in this one. And Graham, I'm excited to learn that you also think he should win the Ballon d'Or. That's pretty great. That's pretty great news. <laughs> yeah, why not? He had he had uh, 100 touches in the in the game okay. against uh, Mines. Okay, it's a lot of touches. So, Holy cow! Yeah, he he was he was he was busy. He was a busy man. Uh, so maybe <laughs> okay. that, that goes against what I was saying. But I guess when you look at the numbers 
of completed passes or attempted passes. Maybe it's just more so that he was taking, I think, on average two touches at most to keep the ball moving, which is not bad. I'll take that one. Uh, Joe, Gianluca Busio did not have as much fun uh, for Venezia in their 3-0 loss to Milan, I'm assuming. Yeah, that's just because Tanner Tessman was suspended for this game, I believe, for yellow card or red card stuff. So he just missed his American buddy. That's, that's all it, it was. So Venezia lose 3-0. Tanner Tessman's out. I mean, coincidence? I think absolutely. Yeah, no, it is. It is a coincidence. Yeah. And Tanner Tessman, unlike Devin Alaba, I will mention this every episode because it blows my mind every time, uh, is on the suspiciously slash like... Uh, a player I did not realize was as tall as they were. I think he's 6'4", 6'5". We talk about this every week, and it blows my mind every single time. Tanner Tessman has all the height that maybe Gianluca Busio does not. We need to average them out and get two average-sized players. <laughs> That's my goal yeah. for this season. Dabo Sweeney just doesn't accept anyone as, as his godsons. They yeah. have to be at least 6'4". Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Graham, how'd that reference work for you? Oh, yeah. Oh, I was right on top of that. Yeah. <laughs> all the way. Yeah. It's like... It's like um, how my uh, my brother is super into Marvel and my my wife is watching the new Sex and the City series and there's a lot of references at the moment. I just have to join in where I can. Like, oh yeah, you know, the, uh, Captain America is definitely such a Samantha. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Graham, now you know I feel literally every episode that we do. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> is Captain America Samantha? I feel like Captain America is more, I don't know, is he a carry? I don't know these things. I haven't watched Sex in the City since high school, so I don't really know anything. <laughs> Taylor, I mean, do you think like Graham and I are going to be able to help you with this? I feel like Graham yeah. might. Joe, I, I don't I think anything that Graham I'm, just no. said indicated that he could help you with this. Well, I think no, listeners I, will. I don't really and maybe that needs to be our next Fantasy Eleven. Oh We've heard from gosh. people saying they want us to bring those back. Maybe that's the way to go is Graham and Joe doing a Sex in the City Fantasy Eleven. You that all have to watch so every poorly. single episode and the movies <laughs> and the reboot and the high school show as well, I think they made. Uh, oh my How many gosh. episodes are there? Too many, Graham. Too many. While Graham yeah. uh, contemplates that existence, I will not make you do that. Instead, Graham, I would just ask you to say uh, goodbye, and I will thank you for your uh, contributions today. We talked about a bunch of Americans. You did so without infuriating me or Joe, and I'm assuming the listeners, so just. that's always a positive. <laughs> no problem. I passed. I passed the there test. There we go. Uh, <laughs> second cap for Graham. Uh, Joe, thank you, as always, uh, for being here today, for talking it out, and for getting me even more excited than I already was about some of the names that we discussed. Yeah, right back at you, Taylor. Listeners, thanks so much for listening. We will talk to you all again very, very soon.